Hi there, I'm Robert Nedgen, host of the Information Security Podcast. Today, we are live from the Information Security Summit 2019 event in Cleveland, Ohio, where thought leaders and industry experts come together for three days of intriguing discussion, networking, and learning. I'm sitting here with one of those thought leaders in law enforcement, Mr. Brian McFarlane of the FBI. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. So, Special Agent McFarland, that is your title. You are a special agent with the FBI. Yeah, but I still answer to Ryan, so that's that works. There's a lot of dramatization of the FBI. I think of that TV series on USA called White Collar, where they dramatize the FBI. Uh, sometimes I think that's detached from reality, I'm guessing, you know. Um, but you work in cyber. Tell us what you do. Tell us about that. So, uh, I've been with the FBI for about 16 years. And uh, the entire time I've been working cyber investigations, which has been uh, really enlightening. It's a challenging type of crime to work, mainly because of the individuals on the other end. I mean, luckily for me, it involves uh, a lot of things I'm passionate about, which are technology, a sense of fairness, and usually good working with good teams. How did you get into the FBI? Did you start out in college saying, I'm going to be an FBI agent? So uh, I was initially introduced to the FBI when I was in Atlanta. I, had a, uh, I was working for a small internet security company in Atlanta. And as part of my job, I ended up getting introduced to some FBI agents that were working some investigations that sort of crossed paths with some of the things I was working on. And uh, after talking to them, realized that seemed like a pretty cool type of position, cool job that I might be interested in, and I followed up with them, and uh, I guess, you know, the rest is history. Now, the FBI really, from what I understand, a, a former co-worker of mine, he actually went to Quantico and, and things like that. It's not an easy thing to get into the FBI. You know, I think it, uh, there, there definitely are some challenges from a, uh, from a background standpoint. You have to make a lot of right decisions. You need to make sure that your, you know, your background is something that we would uh, we would look for because obviously it's a position of trust, and I think from a specialized skill set, we're also looking for folks that that bring something that that can impact investigations. You're fighting the bad guys. You're fighting the cyber criminals. How do you do that? How how do you fight the bad guys? And and who are the cyber criminals? Are they, you know, we have all this vision of people who are outside the U.S. Is that every one of them, or are, are there actually people stateside doing cyber crime? So there continue to be people all over the world that are involved in cybercrime. And what we've found is that uh, we are still catching cyber criminals that are, I guess, the stereotypical person still living in their parents' bedroom that are doing this not necessarily for the profit, but mainly for the challenge. The lulls, as they would call uh, it. Yes. You know, there's there's a certain thrill or they feel like that's where, uh, you know, they, they can execute some sense of power or, or self-worth. And uh, that's, I mean, part of how the, you know, the cybercrime community grew up was out of that desire for, you know, can I do it? Can I break into this system, you know, the challenge? Those individuals still exist and they are still out there and we will continue to investigate them. But most of the cyber criminals that we're really concerned about are, you know, operating globally, and they're they're driven for some type of other motive, such as financial gain 
or intelligence collection. Now, some of the cybercrime that goes on, and, and sadly, I'm going to draw an example that was publicized here in Cleveland uh, not too long ago. A church in a suburb of Cleveland lost money because they responded to an email they thought was a legitimate email. I mean, when I say lost money, they lost $3 million plus dollars. And it, it, it struck a nerve with me. I knew the priest. I know the priest who's the pastor of that church. I went to high school with him. And I'm thinking to myself, this is, this is so wrong. How do you... How do you fight that kind of thing? I mean, do you ever catch these kind of guys? We do. So we we both understand and, and agree with the uh, the aspect that the, you know the the internet is not fair right now. A lot of the cyber criminals have the you know they the way I like to put it is it, it's always raining on the internet, and that's partially because the cyber criminals have some control of the weather. They will continue to target anyone they can if they can make money from it, regardless of whether it's church or, you know, your, your kid's school district, uh, whether it's a, a bank or, you know, a company that's, that's manufacturing something for someone's supply chain. The bad guys are looking for the soft underbelly of everything, aren't they? Yes, and, and there's a certain economy of scale here as well where the bad guys can target, you know, they can target the entire Internet and, and see what they end up with. And then, you know, they'll, they'll adapt as they land on different networks and see how they can profit from them. So if you're running a small business, should businesses get to know their local FBI? Should they, should they know people at the FBI? Should they develop that relationship? And, and if so, how does that help them? So, yeah, ab- absolutely. So they should definitely have the relationship before they're having a really bad day because the wrong time to try to develop the partners you need is when you're in the middle of a you know, a fight for your network or you're responding to a significant business email compromise or ransomware event. You want to be on first-name basis with these security professionals. Absolutely, and hopefully we're in a position to help them by providing them some information on whoever's involved in whatever security event they're, ha- you know, they're having. I, I think we're a resource that's underutilized sometimes by local business because they don't realize, well, uh, some, sometimes they're like, well, the FBI probably has better things to do and uh, in reality, that's not the case. We're here to, to help businesses navigate these, these events as best they can. So what happens to a business if they're the victims of wire fraud? Is that money just gone? Do they have any hope? Uh, no, actually, there's a lot of hope there. We have, a, uh, we have a process. We see so many of these wire fraud attempts that we've developed a specific process for it called our financial fraud kill chain. And if you reach, if you have a wire transfer leave your organization, and you reach out to the FBI as soon as possible, we have a pretty solid track record of actually being able to, to freeze those funds and get them returned. If wait, wait, uh, They can get the money back? Absolutely. So what kind of time frame are we talking about? Do they have to, like, call you within 90 minutes? I mean, what, so, what are we— So, no, within 48 hours, we have a approximately 80 to 85% return rate. Wow, you can actually, within 48 hours, if you discover it, in time, got an 85% chance of getting that money back. Yeah, most, That's huge. Yeah, it's great. So That's huge. Your, your tax dollars actually uh, paying you back a little bit, which we always like. Now, how do you see the profile of cyber criminals evolving in the future? So we continue to see cyber criminals. Um, I mean, at the heart of it, they're technology people, right? And they're constantly looking to. These are the bad tech guys. These are the bad tech these guys. These are the evil tech so, guys. You know, we we kind of understand them because out of, you know being out of the technology field, we you know we we can relate to a certain degree. 
uh, looking for a better way to do, do something, improve our processes, make something easier, make something more automated. And we see an evolution towards specialization. So cyber criminal services by cyber criminals for other cyber criminals. Wait a minute, there's an underground economy? There is, absolutely. Bad guys international? Uh, I, just, just to satirize a, a fictitious name? I, I would say there's a, there's a, a loose... A uh, loose affiliation of people out there in the cybercrime industry. So, sort of like an uh, sort of like an underground eBay for bad guys. Oh, there's definitely there's multiple of those, right? So there's a, a number of dark marketplaces out there where you can find everything from more traditional criminal activities, such as you know drug distribution, murder for hire. I mean, this sounds like great stuff for a novel, but this is real. This is going on. This is the stuff you deal with at the FBI. Absolutely. On a regular basis. Absolutely. Well, the, last, the last group that I actually arrested ended up being uh, a pretty significant vendor on Alphabay, which was one of the dark markets. And they, were, uh, they had control of about a half a million computer systems. And they were mining those systems for data, which they ended up selling on the dark web. And they were also figuring out additional ways to monetize their, their network of compromised systems. So it was a business to them, and they were looking for as many additional revenue channels as they could divine out of, uh, out of their resource, which was our compromised computers. So let's think about our members of our podcast audience who might be business professionals as opposed to security professionals. And they think, well, yeah, now that, that all sounds interesting, but I'm, I'm a small to medium company and I'm not one of these big companies. I'm probably not a target of the bad guys. What would you tell them? Well, we get that all the time, which is companies just don't think they're doing anything of value that cyber criminals would be interested in, right? They're not in the banking sector. Or they don't deal with large-scale consumer information or personal identifying information that makes so much of the news. But in reality, these are the same companies that are doing business over email and sending large payments to suppliers. They're, they're sending their own employees' information to HR. They're putting websites up on the Internet to sell their particular widget or widget service. Uh, they're dependent on their computer systems to do business, right? Which is what we see exploited all the time in ransomware, right? They they need to do... Ransomware is growing like a weed, isn't it? We're seeing a lot of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it's one of those businesses for sale now. Ransomware as a service, R-A-A-S. There's even a term coined for it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. It is. You wouldn't think, I mean... But it's bad crazy. It's unfortunate when you see, see companies hit by ransomware and uh, one, you know, one of the things that I saw earlier this year was uh, a school district in Arizona that ended up shutting down for a number of days. I mean, the kids effectively— So these had—they were ransomware days, not snow days. Exactly, which is something— In Arizona, they never had snow days, so I guess they had ransomware days now. Would, would never—not not something we had to deal it, with when we were— It's not funny because these kids, no school. I mean, they're not being educated. And I think about the costs to remediate from that from a school district standpoint. The last place you want to be, you know, taking money from is uh, our education system. So. A, a system that's underfunded to begin with. And then you got these blasted thieves stealing the money that's there in the form of ransomware. <sighs> this, it's, it's, do you guys ever catch some of these ransomware guys? Uh, we do. We have a number of cases out there that we are able to identify the individuals behind them and, and arrest them, uh, usually with, uh, with the help of foreign law enforcement. And then, 
either extradite them or have them prosecuted wherever they are. It's not a... We don't catch everybody that's out there. But, but you can actually catch some of these people who are overseas. Absolutely. You can actually find them. You can actually hunt them down. Yes. That's incredible. If for some chance one of the bad guys is listening to the podcast, what do you want to say to them? Uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I, not that the bad guys listen to an Information Security Summit podcast, but you never know. It's the internet. Anybody could be picking this up. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I think one of the things that we've seen a number of times is that the FBI really once it's got a, a hook into an investigation, it doesn't really give up. And we'll, you know, we'll continue to investigate something until we, we resolve it in one way or the other. A number of cyber criminals that I've actually talked to have realized uh, a bit too late that uh, they might need to make a change in their life. But usually at that point in time, you know, we're, we're having that conversation in a jail somewhere. I would say that you know, it's probably a good time to reevaluate you know, the risk-reward there. So attention all bad guys, the FBI will find you. I mean, I did that just, I, I like saying that because I, I really hope the bad guys do get caught by the FBI or some other law enforcement. Because, um, uh, you know, when you think of churches, when you think of schools, um, that's just, you know, the bad guys need to be caught. Um, what actionable advice could you give our listeners, uh, wherever they might be, in, in terms of moving forward with, protecting themselves, getting to know the FBI, what would you tell them? Well, I would say that from a technical standpoint, uh, we see a lot of activity that revolves around email. And I, I can't recommend multi-factor authentication uh, enough because I think it at least reduces the amount of noise. That Wait a minute, this is a one tip right off the bat. You can reduce your risk, multi-factor authentication. How much of a difference does that make? It, it makes a pretty significant difference because it, it removes you out of the the low-hanging fruit on the internet, and it, it allows your net defenders to focus on So we can't say that aspects. enough. Multi-factor authentication. Not just two-factor, not just certainly not one-factor, multi-factor. Yes, I, th I think that's probably, bang for the buck, probably the best thing you can do out there. In the cases that we work uh, specifically around business email compromise or email compromise in some way, it would be uh, very beneficial to most of the victims. It may have prevented them from having, having some bad days. Let's just say that much. Are the bad guys always outside the organization? Not always. We see insiders from time to time. Is, and, you know, uh, in, in the 90s, I remember reading a textbook on information security, and they said the insider threat was 75% of security incidents. Is that still true today, or is that shifted? Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't say that that number is accurate as of today. I think there's a, a number of uh, external factors that have changed that statistic. But it's still a threat. There are still bad guys on the inside, just like embezzlement. Absolutely. And we, we work disgruntled employees, you know, uh, cases every year out of Cleveland where we, we see an employee that, for whatever reason, decides that they're going to use their access to send a message to their employer. And, and these malicious acts can be very expensive. No, there's definitely a lot of cost in, involved in remediating some of these situations. I, I can remember a story years ago of uh, the network admin uh, in San Francisco who held the city hostage because he had the password to their network and he wouldn't release it until he finally he gave it to the then mayor, now governor of California. It's like, he held the city hostage with a password. 
to their network. That's, that's, that's a pretty interesting story. I mean, that's that's an insider threat. I mean, he was on the inside. Nobody else had the password. Nobody sure. else had the credentials comparable to his to access the network and, and, and be able to do anything with it, administer it. Yeah, and, and I think we also see some type of hybridization of that sometimes as well. So a good example of an insider threat that was not initially an insider threat is some of the Ministry of State Security activity that happened out of Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but effectively an insider was recruited into a company and used to, to gather information for... Good old-fashioned bribe somebody on the inside. Yep. Wow. Special Agent uh, Ryan McFarlane, managing one of Cleveland Division's cyber squads. They investigate and pursue those responsible for highly complex criminal and national security-related computer intrusions. You've investigated intrusions at Google, RSA, numerous defense contractors performing malware analysis, incident response, malicious network traffic analysis, an incredible, incredible storied background. And, and we thank you for joining our podcast today. Uh, thank you for having me. Brian, if someone wants to get in contact uh, with you or follow you, how do they communicate with you? So uh, as far as the FBI at large, you can follow FBI on Twitter. Uh, we release a FBI lot of... FBI is on Twitter? Yeah, it's true. And you can, you can follow a lot of what the FBI is doing out there. If you want to stay completely online and wouldn't, don't, want to, don't want to talk to somebody at the FBI, you can leave tips and complaints at the Internet Crime Complaint Center, which is ic3.gov. But what I would recommend is if you're, you know, if you're a business and you're interested in developing a relationship or a partnership as it relates to preparation for when something bad will happen, because it's, it, it is going to happen. If you're in business long enough, sooner or later you're going to have an event. What I would recommend is just reach out to your local FBI office over the phone, ask for one of the cyber supervisors, and you'll end up talking to, talking with someone like me and we can have a conversation about how we can help when you need us. Ryan McFarland, Special Agent with the FBI. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for joining us on the Information Security Podcast. If you enjoyed today's interview, you can listen to more from the Information Security Summit 2019, featuring keynotes and behind-the-scenes interviews with some of the Summit's speakers by subscribing to the Information Security Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Or go to informationsecuritysummit.org. We'd like to give special thanks to our sponsors, ASMGI and Bright Skies. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay secure. Stay secure.